All right. Welcome, everybody, to the first episode of Spare Time Sleuths with your host, Elizabeth and Jessica. This podcast is going to be a little bit of crime, a little bit of mystery, and a whole lot of fun. We are um, going to get right to the episode because we know that's what you came for. But if you stay tuned after, you will hear a little bit about your host. And before we jump into it, we just want to give a special shout out to our husbands. Elizabeth's husband, Brad, made our awesome logo, our website, and that really cool music you heard coming in. And my husband liked us on Instagram. So <laughs> I don't think we could do it without either of them, right? Couldn't do it without them. All the support. <laughs> okay. So Elizabeth, today I'm going to do The Watcher. Have you heard about The Watcher? I never have, which I'm kind of shocked about, but I'm, I'm really excited that I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. So let me set the stage for you. Um, it's June 2014, and the Broadduses have just purchased their dream home in Westfield, New Jersey. It's a really stunning older home. It's like 105 years old when they buy it. Wow. And yeah, and it's a dream house. Like Elizabeth, it has like these giant white columns. And like when you oh. walk in, yeah, when you walk in, it's got these like this dreamy grand staircase and these old floors. It's like when you picture like a dreamy Northeast home, that's the house they bought. Nice. And it's um, $1.3 million. So very affordable. <laughs> Attainable. And, yeah. And so Derek brought us, had worked his way up in an insurance firm um, and being able to afford a $1.3 million home in this particular area was like their dream. His wife, Maria, had grown up in the area. Um, it was a really sought after neighborhood. And so being able to find a house there was a really big deal for the family. So they close on the house and they're not going to move straight in because they do need to do a little bit of renovation because it is like a hundred years old. Right. And so Derek is over there. He's doing a little painting. They've had some contractors. And so, you know, he stops by and he's doing all the adult stuff where you lock up and make sure everything is good to go. And they're not living there yet. They've only owned it for like three days, but he stops just to grab the mail just in case. And there's already some bills in there. <laughs> and then, Shoot. Yeah. And then there's a white envelope. And on the white envelope is like this really thick, distinct black writing. And it looks like a card. Like it's like the shape of a card. And it looks like it's going to be like a welcome to the neighborhood card. So he opens it up. He starts reading it. It reads like a welcome letter the first couple of sentences. I'm already terrified. <laughs> you should be. It says, dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. Sounds friendly, right? A little friendly. Uh, a little. <laughs> Very descriptive okay. with the address and all of that. Yes. Okay, but then it gets weird. Is Are you surprised? <laughs> <laughs> I am, okay. actually. Yeah. Okay, so this is what the letter says next. It says, how did you end up here? Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force within? 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now. As it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched it in the 60s. It is now my time 
Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. Oh, I have goosebumps. (laughs) Okay. So from there, the letter actually starts to get personal. So then the writer says, I see that you've already flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. Tisk, tisk, tisk. Bad move. You do not want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. You have children. I have seen them. So far, I think there are three that I have counted. And then, (sighs) yeah, and then he asks if there's more on the way. And then he says, prepare yourself, Elizabeth. The writer says, do you feel the need? Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for your growing family? Or was it greed to bring your bring me your children? Once I know their oh. names, I will, <laughs> once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. Right? And oh my God. Derek freaks out because all this really personal stuff about his kids and how there's three, he remembers that him and his wife had actually brought their kids, their ages five, eight, and ten to visit the house a couple days before. And they had let their kids just like kind of run around in the backyard and stuff while they were chatting with the new neighbors. And so the, you know, the letter goes on and points out that the watcher could be anybody and that there's been neighbors and cars and contractors and they have no idea who he is. And that he signs it the watcher, mm. which, right. So Derek is freaked out. So he calls the cops and the cops come to the house. It's already like past 10 o'clock at night at this time. So he's terrified, calls the cops. He shows the cops the letter and the cop literally goes, what the fuck is this? (laughs) (laughs) Same, same. Um, Because it's like scary, right? So the cop just says like, there's not a lot they can do that night. There's, you know, the letter's weird. And then he walks around the house and they don't see anything that's like out of place or anything. He makes like a few recommendations, like, you know, pick up all the heavy equipment off of the backyard so that um, nobody could use it to like break the windows or whatever. But basically not a lot you can do. And Derek is freaked out because he's like, okay, they obviously know who my wife and kids are. And he's like, I got to get home to my kids (laughs) because... Yikes. So yeah. he's like, did he follow us? Do they know where we live now? So he runs home and he tells his wife, Maria, and they reread the letter and it, they realized that there was like a call out to the old neighbors, I mean, the old owners kind of like it had oh, said yeah. like, you know, they invited you or whatever. So Maria thinks they should email the previous owners and see if they'd had a letter. The previous owners were the Woods, and they had actually lived in the house for 23 years. And so they figured if this was like a whole thing, that the Woods would know. And so they email the Woods, and Andrew Woods, the previous homeowner, emails them back. And she says, they got a letter like that right before they moved out. And she, But not in the beginning. Not at the Just beginning. Just right before they moved out. Just right before they moved out. So they watched them for 23 years and never sent a letter till the end. Well, and then Andrea's like, yeah, it sounded pretty similar to the one that you just read to me. Um, I didn't think anything of it. And I just threw it away. <laughs> like, what? 
what? Somebody says they've been watching you and all this creepy stalker stuff, you just threw it away. And so the Broadduses are like, um, okay, well, we feel like this might be something. <laughs> so Something's not right here. We have some feelings about this. And they ask um, Andrea if she will go to the police station and report the letter. So Andrea and Maria, they go to the police station that same day and they report the letter. And the police are still like, this is going to take some time. Nothing really sticks out as like, you know, who's going to do this, right? So the police say, do not tell anybody about the letter. Do not mention it to the neighbors. Do not tell your friends and family. Just um, keep it to yourself. Because the police are like, if if people know about the letter, you're going to get the rumors that the person's going to get like freaked out. And some of the wording is really specific. Like they use like a really specific tone. And if people know about the letter, it makes it harder to kind of watch that tone as you just like talk to your neighbors and stuff. I feel like and, that would be impossible. I'd be like calling my mom, calling my dad, <laughs> posting to Insta stories. Like has, has anybody experienced this before? Yeah, I would too. And I would at least be like, I feel like I would be asking my neighbors, like, look, we're trying to move into this new house. Do you guys know anything about the stalker that roams? Yeah, y'all got a problem here. Have, do you know who the watcher is? But <laughs> they don't. Okay. So, but over the next couple weeks, they are freaked out. So, they Maria is incredibly anxious. She's so nervous about the house. Um, they're still in their old house. They don't know when they want to move in now because they feel so weird about this letter. Um, Derek like works himself into like full blown panic. He cancels his work trips. They are terrified to let their kids out of their sight. And every interaction they have, they're like overthinking, overanalyzing it and just like stressing out every one of their neighbors. Like they're moving into this beautiful new house and every one of their neighbors is like a suspect to them. And yeah. So, and so they said that they go to like a party in the neighborhood and they treat everybody like suspects. And they think that people probably thought like these new neighbors are kind of weird because they wouldn't let their kids leave their side. And then one of the neighbors wants to take a tour of the house and just see like what kind of renovations they've done and stuff. Derek walks them over, takes them around. And the neighbor says, it will be nice to have some young blood around here. And so That's they a suspect phrase. Yes. So they panic and they're like, we can't trust anybody in this neighborhood. Like it could be literally anybody. So two weeks go by. Maria swings by the house. She opens the mail. And there is another card shaped letter. Panic sets in. She opens it up. And it says, welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard. The workers have been busy, and I have been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. The dumpster is a nice touch. Have you found what is in the walls yet? In time, <laughs> you will. Oh, my God. Okay, so the crazy thing about this letter, the second letter, is he now knows their kids' names. And, like, the nicknames that they call their kids, like, you know, their personal little nicknames. And he knows their birth order. And he asks about one of their daughters, like in particular, one of the little girls had been painting at an easel while they were working around the house. And he said, while, you know, while they were working, he watched the daughter and he asks if she's the artist of the family. 
Can you imagine how creepy it would be if one of your kids was called out by a stalker like that? No, I would just just get rid of that $1.3 million. Now we're homeless. That's <laughs> yeah, fine. Just call Whatever it takes. That's it. I'm, this just didn't work out. I'm sorry. Yeah. And then he goes on and he says, 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood pit play in the basement or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Okay, I'd be boarding up all the doors and the windows. Like, nobody goes in the basement. Yes. We don't have – we actually don't have a basement anymore. It's weird how that worked out, but – Or you can't have an attic either because then he says, will they sleep in the attic or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me know who is in which room. Then I can plan better. Oh. Well, we're all sleeping in the living room, all the lights on. We're all going to hold hands all night long. Yes. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the watcher, and I have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on. And they kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by. They should have disclosed that. Yeah, yeah. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you too, Broadus family, welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought you the past, what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard. And now it has brought you to me. Happy moving day. You know I will be watching. Oh my God. So, spoiler alert, um, they don't move into the house. Oh, thank <laughs> and, God. I was like, why are they going forward with this? <laughs> and they stop bringing the kids there all together. They back away slowly. And Derek becomes obsessed with figuring this out. Okay. Yeah. He, Normal reaction, I think. Yeah, totally obsessed. So, first of all, this is just funny, and I have to throw this in there. Derek put out an ad asking some ex-military men he was looking for ex-military veterans he wanted to pay them to work out in the backyard every day (laughs) (laughs) just to have some like masculine (laughs) security presence there Um, okay all right but nobody nobody wanted to be paid by some random man to work out in his backyard so (laughs) well if it was 2020 (laughs) yeah he could have made it happen it could have made it happen. Okay. And so he starts digging into this and he becomes obsessed with figuring it out. So here's the thing. The Westfield, New Jersey, where the house is, is a big deal. It's the 99th richest city in America. It's like the wow. 30th. Yeah. And it's the 30th safest, supposedly. I mean, they don't know about the watcher, I guess. But it's supposed to be one of the safest towns. And Boulevard is like the street to live in. So bidding wars were really frequent in the area. And there have been people who were really mad about houses being like, people lost bidding wars into the tune of like $300,000. Like that's how oh. steep these bidding wars would get. And so 
He looks in to see, reaches out to the woods and thinks like maybe it was somebody who bid on the house and didn't get it and wanted to like pressure them in to selling. But the woods say that there was not a bidding war for the house. There was another couple who put an offer in, but they ended up backing out because they found a different house. And so the woods are like, we don't think that there's anybody who really wanted the house. Hmm. And then he looks into the letters themselves. They don't have a return address, but they were processed at a post office nearby. And so it kind of confirms to Derek that it is somebody who like is a neighbor. Yeah. And so he um, starts just kind of getting to know the neighbors, having little interactions. He's like clue hunting at this point. And he, one day Derek talks to the neighbor that's two houses down and in the conversation, he finds out that the neighbor between them is an older woman named Peggy. She's in her 90s, but she has several adult children who are in their 60s, and they all live with her. So oh, it's like, goals. yeah. Goals, right? <laughs> Especially like in a million-dollar neighborhood. So the neighbor describes the youngest. So he's the youngest, but he's still like in his 60s. He describes him as a Boo Radley character, which is, oh, you know, so, so some flags go off yeah. with Derek. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. He starts digging into the family. The family's history matched up with the letters. So they had moved there in the 60s, which the letter said the second person had been watching it since the 60s. Mm-hmm. And the father had passed away 12 years before, which lines up with the second, the the I've been watching the house for a better part of two decades. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, okay, the timeline here works out. Boo Radley character. Yes. You know, maybe there's something to this. So Derek actually goes to tell the detectives. He's got this detective Lugo assigned to the case now. So he tells the detective, there's this family that lives next door. They batch it perfectly. And I want you to look into them. And detective Lugo is like, so we already did. <laughs> We know about it. And we've actually already brought Michael in. But here's the thing. They don't know anything about the letters. There's nothing to tie them to it. Um, We didn't necessarily rule them out, but there's also no tie to them either. So it's just kind of like a brick wall, which is really frustrating for Derek because he thought he had, like, solved the case. Right. And so he, at this point, he says he's getting to the point where he feels crazy And he thinks, Maria probably thinks he's crazy. He starts hiring private investigators of his own. And he becomes like red yarn in a basement level investigator himself. He is doing things like trying to figure out how close to the house somebody would have to be to be an earshot to hear the kids' names. And he's making all these maps and he's doing all this investigation. And then he finds this former FBI agent. And he ends up getting the letters, like, investigated, reviewed, kind of like a profile made from the letters. And the FBI agent says a couple of things stand out to him. So first of all, the letters have old ticks in them, like more formal writing. And Mm -hmm. some of the things they say are like older sayings that people don't really say today. And then it's got that formal, like tone that like early English and then here's this they sound feminine 
Oh. Yeah, they don't they say that they don't have a particularly masculine or macho tone to them. Hmm. Which is turn. That's a twist. That is and, a twist. I was not expecting that. Yeah. And the agent says he doesn't think that they seem likely to act on any of the threats. It seems more like a kind of and push to sort of make the family feel uncomfortable or maybe like scare them, but he doesn't necessarily think that they're real threats. Okay. So the interesting thing about this is that really sounds like the family next door, the Langfords. It's got that older sort of twist to it. Um, Everybody in the family is a little bit older. It's also, there's not like really threatening, but it's, it's got that weird tone to it. And that family certainly has had like a weird tone when everybody's like talked to them. The way they speak. Is that the, is that the family that used the term young blood? It's not. I know. And so, I mean, this neighborhood is not a place I want to live. (laughs) Apparently not. I thought if you lived somewhere that cost that much money, it would just be idealistic. Like it just had to be, but. Yeah. We're not missing out, apparently. We are not missing out. Okay, so the um, police say, okay, let's try to smoke out the Langfords. So what they do is they have the broadest family write a letter to the Langfords just to let them know that they have decided that they're going to tear down the house and start building from scratch. They think if the Langfords have some sort of weird attachment to the house and somebody in the family is the watcher, that tearing the house completely down will be like a button that they push. And so they're right. hoping that they're kind of hoping that they set them up and that they'll tell them about tearing the house down and that the watcher will send a new letter that is something about tearing the house down. And then they can kind of be like, haha, got you. But nothing happens. They write the letter. And no, no movement, like at all. They don't even hear from them. No, nothing. Like literally nothing happens. And so they're like, okay, well, that didn't work out. So Derek gets another private investigator. um, And the private investigator finds like a couple of weird things. Like there's uh, a couple of sex offenders within a few blocks that they kind of keep an eye on. And then the Broaddus' house painter, so one of the contractors that had been there, came forward and said that he noticed something strange. He said that the couple behind 657 Boulevard kept lawn chairs really close to the Broaddus property. And he says that one day he saw the older guy sitting in the chairs, but he said what was weird is he was facing the Broaddus' house. And so he said he's sitting really close to their property and he's just watching them and he's not even facing his own house. That's weird. That's really weird. So that ends up being a dead end. It's like all these, this is like the creepiest neighborhood in America. Yeah. (laughs) All these people turn out to be dead ends. It's like, why is there something, there's something wrong with each one of these people that makes them suspect. (laughs) That's weird. Yeah, I'm seriously, like, obsessed with this case because it is something else. Like, every weird turn, you're like, okay, well, this has got to be it. And then it's all a dead end. 
Okay, so they get another letter, and it's creepier, and it's stranger, (laughs) and it's kind of more aggressive. So it says, 657 Boulevard is turning on me. It is coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? It used to be my friend, and now it is my enemy. I am in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I will be patient, and I will wait for this to pass and for you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let the young blood play again like I once did. Let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. Stop changing it and let it alone. Okay. So here's the thing. This letter is really creepy. At this point, the Broadduses are living with Maria's parents. They couldn't tell anybody about the letter. It's been six months since they first closed on the house and they haven't moved into it. And everything just feels like really demoralizing to them. People are asking like why they are living with Maria's parents. Why aren't they living in this million dollar house? And they can't tell anybody. So they're saying like we have legal issues and they're just, things are just stacking up for them in a really bad way. Maria ends up getting diagnosed with PTSD. Oh, because this has just been so overwhelming for her. So they decide that it's time to sell the house, which I'm like, yes. 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 Should have done (laughs) that day one. So here's the thing is they want to put the house on the market. So they work with a real estate agent and the real estate agent says that they don't technically have to disclose it. But the Broadduses feel like they wish that somebody would have told them. And so they decide that they want to. So what they do is they put in like a little bit of wording, like a small disclosure in the ad to just say like, you know, more details to come. And then once they sell the house, like somebody puts in an offer, then they're going to show the letters. That's how they decide that they want to handle it. I feel like that's like really nice of them. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that's a fair way to do it. Like, you know, very don't... decent. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing though. What they didn't realize is that there were a lot of rumors flying around about the house. Like people were questioning, like, you know, the people had seen cops there because they'd called the cops before they never moved in. And people were kind of making up things like they thought maybe something to do with a sex offender or like a stalker. And so the house wasn't moving and they start to think that, you know, they wish that somebody would have put some sort of disclosure in the house before they bought it and that the woods got a letter themselves before they bought the house and the woods should have told them about the letter. So, yeah, I mean, they should have. (laughs) And the Broadduses actually decide to file a lawsuit against the Woods for not properly disclosing it. Oh. And they don't want to make a big deal out of it. They want to keep it pretty quiet because they still want to try to sell the house. But the there's like this little story that gets published in the small local newspaper that just kind of has like a little word about, you know, the letters weren't disclosed. Well, it gets picked up quickly. 
and it goes viral. And it ends up being talked about on the Today Show and um, a couple of major newspapers publish articles about it. And they end up getting 300 media requests. Oh, my gosh. And they turn them all down. They don't want to talk about it. Um, but it makes the house viral. And so it makes selling the house significantly harder. And so they end up just taking the house off the market. And once it's gone viral, the whole town is on edge. Everybody is anxious about the stalker that's stalking this house. And the they're just like beat down by the whole thing. And so what they find out is that the police had actually gotten DNA off of the letters. Okay, I was wondering about that. So they didn't know initially, but now they find out that they got DNA off the letters. And it was a female writing these letters. So they look back at the Langford family, which was Peggy Langford and her adult children. Mm -hmm. Peggy Langford had a daughter named Abby, and Abby was a real estate agent. And so they wonder if she's upset that she missed the commission on a house right next door to her. Like maybe she was mad that the woods didn't use her to sell the house. And so they're like, okay, that's, that's a good motive for somebody to, you know, start up something against the house. And they're like thinking she's an earshot and something's going on over at that house where everybody has like a weird vibe about them. Yeah. So they bring Abby in. And the DNA is not hers. Oh, I know. So then the town starts talking about this creepy little house. And a lot of people start looking at the Langsford. Excuse me, the Broadduses. A lot of people start looking at the Broadduses. A lot of people start wondering if they were sending the letters to themselves as some sort of insurance scam or they couldn't afford the house and they needed out of it or, you know, something along those lines. Hmm. But the woods got a letter. Yeah. And it is not Maria's DNA. So it wasn't them. Oh, so they can't sell the house. They're living at her parents' house. They want to be able to get another house so they can have their kids like, you know, have a home and they're paying the property taxes on this giant house, which the property taxes were like $100,000 a year. Mm. And so they need to do something with the house. So they work with a real estate agent and say, like, what can we do? And the real estate agent says that they could probably sell the lot. And in order to make the money that they need to pay off the house, they would have to sell it in two lots. And so... Mm. The city says a lot has to be 70 feet. If they were to divide the lot into two lots, one lot would be 67.4 and the other one would be 67.6. So they don't technically qualify. So they um, try to get like a waiver or an exception from the city and it does not pass. So Mm. now they can't sell the land. So they end up finding a renter. And the renter decides that he will rent the house, but he wants a clause in there that says if they he gets some sort of creepy letter or things like ramp up and he doesn't feel safe, he wants to be able to get out. The Broadduses agree. Seems fair. Seems fair. So, of course, he, he gets a letter. 
And this letter is really threatening. (laughs) Oh, God. This letter actually says um, that something may happen to one of the family members of the renter. And it says maybe a car accident, maybe a fire, maybe something as simple as a mild illness that'll never seem to go away, but makes you makes you fall sick day after day after day after day. Maybe the mysterious death of a pet. Oh, isn't that terrible? That's maybe awful. A, maybe a loved one suddenly dies. Planes and cars and bicycle crashes. Bones break. Um, that's intense. Yeah, that's like getting more and more violent. And I think this is definitely threatening at this point. Yes. So here's the thing. The renter says he will stay as long as they put in cameras, which I was like, it's bold. Yeah, that person must really want to live in this like exclusive neighborhood and they can't really afford it. But they're like, you know what? It might be worth dying. Let's try it. Yeah. So um, they end up getting this renter. They are charging rent, obviously, but it's not even enough to cover their mortgage. And so they're basically just hemorrhaging money at this point. They um, haven't done anything with the lawsuit with the woods. It's still ongoing. They've spent um, like $100,000 on the renovation before they knew that they weren't able to live in the house. They've spent like $100,000 doing their own investigation of it. And they are just like knee deep in money in this house. And their kids are now, um, you know, in school and they're their kids are like invested in the area because it's where they've been the last year or so. And so they decide to buy another house. And when they buy another house, they actually do it through an LLC so that nobody can find their new address and such. Oh, that is smart. That's smart. So they do stay in the town, but nobody knows where they like where their address is. And um, they, you know, hemorrhage money over the next couple of years. And then finally, in July of 2019, they sold the house at a loss. Um, and just an interesting fact, before they originally sold the house, before they 2019, they had sold the house once before. It was this guy who was an investor, and he said he wanted a dirt cheap house, and he wasn't scared of anybody. And he put in the offer, and then he got the letters, and he ghosted. <laughs> he never <laughs> <laughs> And so... They had had that one offer that fell through. But now, finally, in July of 2019, they actually sold the house. They paid like $1.3 million for the house. They put in $100,000 in the reno. They put in $100,000 investigating. And they sold the house for $959,000. So they lost about like four grand-ish. Yeah. But they were like, at this point, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so at the time that they sell the house, 2019... Nobody ever knew who the watcher was. It never got anywhere. They've never figured it out. They narrowed it down to the fact that it's a woman. They think it's an eye, like an ear, an eye shot, but they never know who it is. That is so crazy. And I feel like this also solidifies my irrational fear to only buy new houses. Yes. Like (laughs) we've, I've only ever lived in a house that was like a brand new construction. And we tried to buy a, a house before. Um, instead of waiting for one to be built. And we kept getting outbid, even like putting an above asking price. So I was just like, you know what? That's actually Jesus coming and saying, no, girl, like we, t- we tried to tell you only buy new houses. And now I feel like I can never buy a used house. Yeah. And this just proves it. I think you're right. We've only ever bought new construction too. And it's like, right. nobody, 
nobody's attached to this thing. Exactly. Like nobody died here. Like for sure. It's definitely not haunted. It's there's no stalkers. It's the way to go, man. It is. And here's a fun fact too. While they were still like owners of the house, they got a ton of um, people trying to option the story for like movies. They didn't accept any of the offers. And um, Lifetime went ahead and made a movie. <laughs> but instead of signing the, the letters, the watcher, they signed the letters, the Raven and uh, the Broadnesses sent a cease and desist. But since selling the house, they did option the story to Netflix and Netflix is actually making a movie. It's supposed to come out next year. Yay. I, I'm obsessed when the stories become movies or shows or whatever. Yes. I hope it's good. But yeah, there's still no word on who the watcher is. That is so crazy. And I tried to super sleuth to see if the new owner has gotten letters. I spent longer than I'm proud of trying to figure it out. (laughs) And I I don't see anything about the new owner getting a letter. But I mean, they've only been there about a year. So I don't know. Oh, I love your commitment to the cause, though. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So... I mean, that's like one of my like favorite obsessions is this story because I just want to know who the damn watcher is. Apparently they've been around for decades, but nobody like ever got hurt in the house, right? No, we know of. Yeah, nothing that we know about. And I I'm like, is Peggy the 90-year-old? Is it her? Like maybe. But I wonder like if familial DNA, like if they would have known that. Abby wasn't the Watcher, but she was related to the Watcher. Right. They should have had some matches. They need to, like, can they, you know, when you see in the movies and they, like, dig in people's trash and, like, test their (laughs) stuff for DNA. Like, come on. I feel like we need to go there and be like, have y'all checked the trash? We got to know. And we need to... We need to ring the doorbell of a new owner and be like, girl, you got any letters? (laughs) Have you gotten any letters? If so, let me see. (laughs) So that is our first story of our first episode. Hopefully everybody liked it. Yay! Uh, Yay! I feel like we did it. We did it! And so now um, we'll talk a little bit about us, which is the hardest part for both of us. (laughs) Yes. So if you just turn it off, we won't be mad. (laughs) Just exit now. Everything's fine. (laughs) So, okay. So I do have to shout out, Elizabeth is a legit scientist, which I think makes us a legit podcast because we are a podcast (laughs) with a scientist. (laughs) Don't read too much into that, but yeah. (laughs) And then, um, okay, so Elizabeth, what is your biggest crime obsession? Hmm. Okay, I love... Like serial killers, obviously, where like the story is so gruesome that it's like, why, why am I reading this? Why am I thinking about this? But I can't <laughs> stop. Like, I love a good Ed Kemper, Jeffrey Dahmer, like all the creepy, gross, weird. Like the weirder, the better. The weirder, it's like the train wreck that you can't look away from, but it's going to like keep me up all night, but I'll still keep reading about it. <laughs> oh, I kind of like that too. Yeah. I, I like a good cold case. Definitely. Like Although good- it it makes me obsessed that I can't figure it out. But 
Because do you kind of think that you're going to be the one to solve one of these? I hope. That's like maybe my biggest aspiration. It's just like I will have a thought that all these professionals, like it never came to them, you know, in the middle of the night, it's just going to hit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I think you really are going to do one of those, Jessica. I think. I think it's, yeah. I mean, the trajectory here, you know, it's like, it's like listens to podcasts, researches <laughs> on the internet, makes a podcast, solves a 30-year-old crime. Solves a cold case. It's yeah. kind of like the Zodiac killer. They have no hope now. Yeah. We're, we're coming. We're coming for you. <laughs> and then, okay, so Elizabeth and I, background, we went to high school together. Mm-hmm. And then we went off, uh, did our own things. And then later in life, we became internet best friends. It's and true. Um, I, we grew up in Texas, Keller, Texas. Shout out. And then what t- what year did you move to Keller? Uh, what year did we start freshman year? 2001? I moved in ninth grade. So you came as a freshman? Yeah. Perfect. Which was awful. Uh, I'm sure. It was. <laughs> it was actually really terrible. Shout out to my mom and dad. Never do that to your children, people. Oh, <laughs> uh, don't say that. You know, I'm trying to move my child who's a freshman next year. <laughs> don't. Don't do this to him. Just kidding. Yeah. But he like school. He's been in virtual school, yeah, lately. So I feel like it's a little different. It is. So we became internet best friends, and right like when we started to like have like a blossoming friendship, mm-hmm. I up and left the state of Texas and moved. So rude to Washington. <laughs> and now I am living in Washington. And so uh, we decided to do this whole virtual podcast thing together because. If the world needs one thing, it's definitely more crime podcasts, right? More, like I don't think there's hardly any on there. Like when you go search true crime podcasts, there's yeah. not very much comes up. So this is, this is an untapped market. Fill in the gap. Also, <laughs> side note: Brad cannot remember that you live in Washington. Like he knows. Like I talk about you and our internet friendship and all of this, and still, like the other day, he was like, "Oh, so like, what time is Jessica coming over?" Like. <laughs> He's like, he's not. It's really (laughs) weird that you guys are like insistent of only being internet friends and you will not meet in person. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, it's like, like, he's like, it's okay if Jessica comes over. And I'm like, I know that it's okay. (laughs) We just, Brad, we never want to meet our idols. (laughs) (laughs) You got to keep just a little bit of distance. (laughs) And we both have two boys. Yes, boy moms. Love it. Boy moms. Mine are old. It's sad. Mine are eight and 13. Well, mine are seven and four. So we have a little overlap. We have a kid Almost in every room, basically. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then um, our goal of this podcast is to tell important stories, be respectful of victims. But have some fun. Um, the world has been a little heavy lately. Woo! So we're trying to do like you know crime, but but make it fashion. Like <laughs> crime, but make it fashion. <laughs> I don't think there's a better tagline for this. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what we're doing here. And so we hope that I mean we hope that the stories are interesting, and we hope we do justice to all the victims. 
But we also hope that you don't leave here and want to just like climb into your bed and pull the covers over your head for the rest of the day. Yeah, we like to keep it light for our sanity. If we're not laughing, we're crying. Yeah. So, And so we say that because we do want everybody to know that this is respectful and that we we have a lot of respect for all of the people involved in research sure. crimes and victims and, you know, all of that. But we want to... We also want to have respect for the listener who is living in a heavy-ass world these days. <laughs> yes. Agreed. And so um, you can find us on Instagram at Spare Time Sleuths. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Spare Time Sleuths. And if you show us how to use Twitter, you will see tweets there eventually. <laughs> yeah, if somebody could like send us a quick tutorial... <laughs> Right now, we just have the uh, the at at spare time sleuths. But I mean, you can find gotta us start there. somewhere. You gotta start somewhere. You can find Elizabeth at e plus b equals c, mm-hmm. and you can find me at real life with JB. And I think that's it. We do not have a clever line to end the podcast with yet. With any suggestions, you know. Hit us Send up. us some suggestions. <laughs> Hit us up on Instagram with some cute, clever ways to end this. But in the meantime, <laughs> we'll just say have a good week and thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Bye.